What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here from a very snowed-in New York City. And today, my special guest is one of my favorite musicians on the scene. He's a musical journeyman and just one of the best guitar players, singers, songwriters that, that, that I know. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Zane Carney. Thanks for doing this, man. Dude, that was a very nice introduction. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that. I'm a semi-pro with this journalism thing, you know? Everybody's got a podcast. Right, right. One day I'll start mine. I don't know what it'll be about, but I'm gl I'm grateful to be on yours. This is awesome. You, you know, like, like I learned this thing back in the financial crisis of 2008, mm. and, and uh, a very smart guy who was in real estate told me, he's like, listen, Joe, when you see people in Los Angeles, um, uh, basically, you know, like, you know, carpenters and plumbers and they're buying million dollar houses and flipping them that's when you know there's a bubble right right and i was like yeah because because they're getting 99 percent loans and i said when i walked into guitar center in about may of last year and i saw front and center the do-it-yourself podcast kit i knew that the podcast were, we're, we're in a crowded space here right right yeah, that's that. I mean, I've had a few friends say, you got to do a podcast with your uh, music theory stuff. I'm like, I don't. Yeah, there's so many podcasts, but I don't know if I'd be offering something as beneficial as what you're offering here. I mean, I, I've watched most episodes of your podcast just because you're bringing on so many different types of people and you're talking about gear, then you're talking about records. It's just I don't know. Th this space to me feels like a good place for a podcast. But yeah, it is. It is saturated. <laughs> You know, and one of the things that, that I like, I love about this show, it's, it's it's really under the umbrella of keeping the blues alive, mm -hmm. and and it's and it's not just about people that are rock and roll hall of famers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's about cats that are out there now that 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 are fighting the good fight, have had great careers, and exposing them to maybe an audience that that isn't maybe not in the wheelhouse. Right. So one of the things that I admire about you, you were born here in New York City. That's right. And you studied jazz guitar. And one of the things I always ask about um, guitarists or any musician is who is the host? Who is who is the, 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 the person or the people that put the music in front of you to begin with? There was a very specific man named Tom Dempsey. He was the guitar teacher at National Guitar Workshop. This would have been like 1997 uh, or 8 or something. I went there to the summer camp program and uh, I wanted to be a blues guy because my brother Reeve was a blues guy and we had just become friends with Johnny Lang and he was a blues guy and oh, we're all family friends, we're all blues guys. And uh, there was one lesson that Tom Dempsey gave. I don't know if he's ever heard me tell the story about him because he really changed my life. He said, all right, today guys, we're gonna do a thing called diatonic harmony. So here's how it looks, you drew it out. And uh, if you wanna listen to someone who can explore this uh, you know, even better than I can, uh, maybe check out Bill, Bill Evans, maybe check out Wes Montgomery. And so after class, I said, wait, so if I start that C major on D, or if I play a D tr minor triad, it creates the Dorian mode? He's like, uh, yeah, you're 12. Yeah. Do right. you want to stay after and talk more about melodic minor modes? I'm like, what are those? So he just fed me this extended harmony thing that just ex exploded my brain. And I found out later in life that most of my favorite songs as a kid, like Disney movie songs, I don't know, when I was like six, my favorite song was A Whole New World. And... When I was eight or nine, it was Mariah Carey's Butterfly, and I loved Michael Jackson, and I loved Jordan Knight's song, I Give It To You. I looked back at these songs, I'm like, these were jazz changes. I just didn't know it. I was six. So I think Tom really 
opened me up through just a teeny bit of analysis to to discover this world of jazz. And then, yeah, age 12 on, I really didn't look back. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, a lot of that, a lot of pop music, especially in the 90s, even like Boys to Men, and, and oh, there's yeah. a lot of adult chords in those things. You start yeah. charting that out, you're like, wow, this is a little above my pay grade. You right. Know? Oh, yeah, so, it was for me, yeah. Who was like, you know, guitar wise, like, you know, obviously, you know, West Montgomery, we have that. But when I listen to you play, you have like, you, you're not just a straight jazz guy in the sense that you play with bad intentions. Now, uh, sometimes the jazz genre suffers from a very one dynamic type of approach, you mm. know, where, where where the levels of the guitar, are, there, there's a little less fire and brimstone, a lot more melody, a lot more you know, right. when you play, you you kind of tread the line. And mm. I hear the blues. I hear I hear pop. I hear a lot of different things. And then you you're straight in the bebop. Right, dude. I appreciate you noticing that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I there are a couple of reasons. I think that the gestation of that was growing up in L.A., man, we, we just had this amazing thing. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called the West Coast Get Down. But it's like Thundercat and Kamasi Washington and Brandon Coleman, Ryan Porter, and all these guys. And uh, we all grew up together and we played together. And uh, yeah, man, I just I think hanging around guys like that that were so open minded, even in high school, Kamasi and I went to high school together. And Kamasi was never just the I'm going to be a Coltrane type. He was already into film composition and already into orchestral melodies. And so getting to jam with them and, and and play with them for, you know, first five, six years of my career, I think all of us were into some weird stuff. Right. So I think that might be part of it. Um, but also, when I was 22, I got out of my jazz snob phase. I had, I had a serious jazz snob phase, 12 to 22. I mean, I kid you not, someone would play me some, like, a great blues solo, and I'd go, oh, I don't I don't get it. It has to have a sharp nine, flat five, 13, you know. I was that right. kid, which I think a lot of us jazz players are. Uh, at 22, I stumbled upon the Royal Albert Hall concert um, of Led Zeppelin's Royal Albert Hall. And I heard Jimmy Page do this thing. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What he just did is what John Coltrane did on – what? Hold on. And then I got deep into Zeppelin. And then I got deep into Buckley, Jeff Buckley and Tim as well. Then I got deep into Django Reinhardt somehow from there. And so I just started falling in love with stuff and following what made me feel really alive versus trying to sound different. And I – yeah, man, I – I guess it's found all those different tentacles have found their way into my mode of expression, but it's it definitely started hardcore jazz, and then I finally opened up to like Albert King, like losing my mind over like a one note solo. So yeah, you know, it's small world. Um, that reissue of the Albert Hall Zeppelin, um, which I believe was 1969, mm -hmm. um, it was compiled and remixed by a guy who produces all my records named Kevin Shirley. No way. So he put that he put that whole and he was behind that record, that DVD compilation and how the West was won. So he was doing a lot of work with with Zeppelin and and he's a big Zeppelin fan and he made sure that that stuff was right. Wow. How how hard is it to cuz I've always operated on this uh, on this plane of of I know enough music to get in trouble. I know when things are wrong. Okay, and wait, wait to see my next Instagram video about about about, about major minor clashes. It's going to be great. Um, I love it. I, I here's the thing: is I know enough to get in trouble, but I don't know anything. Hmm. How hard is it to detach once you've made that de decision? Like at age 22, how hard is it to detach from 
not for lack of a better term, the rule book, because, mm. you're, you know, you know, you, you're maybe playing something that's a little dissonant and the rule book's going, no, 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 no. Stay in the, stay in the lane, stay in the lane. But then you're just like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go outside the box here. That's a really good, man. You're asking great questions. Uh, not, not to bring up something I already brought up already, but there was a gig I was doing or we were doing at the Edison. It was, I think it was Kamasi, Ryan, I think Brandon, or no, maybe it was, um, Keith, I'm not sure who it was. Anyway, we had this jazz hit, and it was, I don't know, it was 2005 or six. And the sound guy said, hey, tr to Ryan, he's like, hey, make sure you play uh, your trunk. I think it was right. It might have been Isaac Smith. I'm sorry. I'm tripping. Anyway, it was a jazz musician on stage, and the sound guy said, hey, man, make sure you have your trombone, you know, placed correctly. Make sure you're thinking about that. And he said, man, Zane, come on, tell him, man. We ain't thinking when we're playing. Come on, man, tell him. And he was, just, he was joking, but right. I think there is an element uh, once, once, someone uh on stage is like hey it's your solo time and like you're really allowed to go wherever you want which is the fun thing about jazz we can harmonically just play-doh everything uh i tend to go into a state where i awaken from it after going like oh what just i can't remember what i just played so i i think i think mostly when i'm practicing i am thinking about what i'm practicing and how i can modify the harmony but i guess i've been maybe lucky or i'm not sure what but uh usually i go into a state where i'm not present in the same way i am when i'm practicing mm -hmm. that being said i have gotten caught into some what do they call those things i'm like my my words they are failing me uh cul-de-sacs yeah where i'm like oh man i'm thinking so much about my minor sevens whatever i've definitely had that and i got slapped on the wrist you know early in college like hey don't think too much um but maybe i just had good guidance i don't know i mean i, I will say that, that being said it's so fun when i'm in a solo and i'm and i take a breath you know maybe give three bars for free and just go and then I just have this moment of, you know, this could be Lydian augmented. And what would, and I, I love that feeling. I'm going to explore that. And then a melody comes that I never would have thought of had I only been playing what I am feeling in the moment. Just a moment of thought helps me go, that would be interesting to have the sharp four and sharp five. And then once I start there, it's like, okay, now I'm not thinking anymore. And this is I, on stage you're doing this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what's happening in Rockford, Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Towards the end of the set. And I know I have a day off in Chicago. Okay, I'm like you know, McCormick and Schmitz's they they have a they have like the Buckeshuck oysters there on, on, on Thursday nights, and we have the night off. So oh, martini and oyster night. Oh shit! Yeah. And ballad John Henry's. Like, oh god. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of the one of the things about um, soloing and improvisational music, jazz and blues, kind of fall into the same category. It's it, it's an outline. Then you go off. You come back to the outline and and you finish up or the head or whatever however you want to describe it. Yeah. One of the things that, that how do you determine are you cognizant of the audience reaction? Like mm -hmm. like in a sense, when do you use the guitar for to emote to give them to cry, or when do you use it for a weapon? Oh, that's a great oh. question. Oh, I love this. Okay, this is such a great question, man, dude. You're like the best interviewer I ever talked. This is crazy because I love I your playing so much. Way too much. So Joe, why the blues? No, but I but I love is like, and I haven't gotten a second to just tell you how much I appreciate your playing. I, I remember seeing you play. I, I don't know how old I was, but I, my mind was blown because you're so soulful and you have so much emotion when you play, and yet your technique is out of control, like absurd. So this means a lot. Some of the some of the questions you're asking, it's surprising you're this good at this too. Because I'm like, what? How many things are you amazing at? But anyway, so 
you can you tell the internet that I'm that, that I have soul because 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 a lot of is that not an agreed upon thing? It is not an agreed upon thing, and and a lot of times I it's it's no feel Bonamassa or Boomer Massa or you know I'm I actually I just talked I told this to Corey Wong I said yeah. I'm more self aware than anybody on the planet, but right. it doesn't matter. I, I I'd rather be hot cold than in the middle. But go ahead, right. just. You know, when do you use it as a weapon? When do you use it to emote? So, because you do it so well on both sides of the fence. I really appreciate that. So I, what I tend to dip into, and perhaps this is, um, I'm not sure where I got this idea, but I, I tend to focus on what's going to make me feel uh, the saddest. And then if it makes me feel sad, I, I'm guessing it'll make the audience feel that way. And then if, I, if I'm feeling I'm so fed up with whatever's happened that day and I want to dig in and put my pog on whatever I'm going to do. My hope is that because I'm generally, um, some would say sensitive, others would say like neurotic. <laughs> uh, I, if I'm feeling angsty, I'm guessing the audience might feel it. So I think most of what I look for is, is it making me feel this way? And then my hope is that I am being transparent enough on stage. that The audience does feel it too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love playing with that. I mean, I'll do a song like, I don't know, these are original, so I won't say those because no one would know them. But uh, like I'll do a, a Cry Me a River, or I'll do uh, not the Justin Timberlake, the Julie London, or I'll do. Uh, by the way, I saw it online, and, it, oh. and you do it by yourself on the electric guitar. Not many people are doing solo electric right. vocal. Right, I do love doing that. That's a Jeff Buckley thing, and and it's very it's it looks a lot easier than it is to pull off. So my hats mm. off. Thank you, man. But yeah, so I do. Um, I during that song sometimes the whole performance is mellow because that's how I'm feeling and sometimes it's more aggressive so I think it usually has to do with what I'm uh yeah in that moment how how I think the guitar will make me feel and then I hope it makes them feel it I'm like saying the same thing four times in a row sorry being redundant it, yeah. it makes sense I find I'm best when I'm backed into a corner meaning I've made multiple errors in a row and now I'm pissed you hmm. know because because at that point and and what you don't what, what the audience doesn't realize is how long these spaces in time feel to the to the the player. Mm. I mean, clammed a couple of times within a, a a verse or something like that. You watch the film back, and it goes by in like a nanosecond. Up there, it feels like ten minutes. You know? Right. And you you've played in front of every kind of crowd imaginable. I mean, mm. like you know, from your touring with John Mayer to 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 your, you know, jazz gigs, but and and it's it's all you know Tokyo, and mm. so how much is the crowd a factor Ooh. in the quality of the gig? I will say my my favorite place to play is Japan right now because of that. That even when I'm doing a, a set where I'm uh, maybe more bombastic or loud, they right. wait until the last moment to applaud, and I love that because I I love jazz and that's really my background and what you know I'm releasing now and all that, but. Uh, I come from the classical background too. I played oboe, and I love when you can really let a piece finish. So that that helps me knowing that I'm not going to have to fight with the audience to be dynamic is really helpful. Right, really helpful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I find our best gigs are when the audience is into it from the downbeat. The lights go down, mm. you hear the roar. It sounds like Frampton comes alive, mm. and there's a there's a, a built-in inertia from that. Right. Now, whether you whether you're able to catch the wave and ride it all the way to the end, at least the first three songs come out smoking. Right. Um, and then there's nights that you walk on. And it's like it's usually the night after the greatest gig you ever thought. <laughs> I know. I and know. you're like, "Gun, is this thing on?" This thing right. On? Right. Know, what, what, 
are we doing here? You know, it's like, right. All right. Tell me when you're, you're doing so many different styles of music, you know, from right. pop gigs to, to straight at bebop to, to hybrid. I hate to use the word fusion, but fusion mm -hmm. done the right way is great. Thank you very much. And rest in peace, Chick Corea. Um, nice. And how, how, how much does your tone and your approach and your rig vary yeah. depending on the gig? Like, like, would you, do you just kind of go into, this is what I do and, and I'm going to, you, you kind of make the music your own or are you trying to cop, like when you toured with Mayor, did you, did right. you try to cop the sounds from the record and scale the rig like that? You know, I, I transitioned when I was younger, I definitely was thinking, okay, I have a, I have a, an Axis Super Sport here and I'll use that for my gospel gigs and then I have my guitar. Kind of similar to what I've at least read a little bit about Jimmy Page's early studio session days. Like, how can I be a session player and sight read and all those things? And then around 23 or so, I started a band with my brother called Carney. And in that band, it was highly encouraged by our producer, uh, who was David Kahn at the time. He's like, dude, why are you trying to fit into the song? Like, you're the artist. It's called Carney. Like, that's the band. Do whatever you like. And then we had this song Amelie come out, which was kind of like, what is this? Is this Les Paul? Is this Django? Is this rock? Is this Muse? Is this great? What is this? And so those genre sort of um, accidentally genreless moments came because we were like, I I here's what I enjoy. So at around 24 or so, I started going, all right, well, I'm going to show up to gigs and he here's what I like. And thank God when, when John Mayer hired me, he was into that. He was like, I want you to do your thing. I remember the, the first or second rehearsal, I was kind of trying to sound like certain records of his. And then there was a moment where he threw me a solo and it was surprising to me. So I couldn't help but go into my flow state. And he stopped everyone. He's like, that's, I want that. That's what I want. I want you to do you. I said, oh, okay, cool. Are you sure? All right. <laughs> so um, he was just incredibly supportive of that. And uh, I think from around Carney on and then John Mayer especially, people have uh, been very gracious to me and, and been interested in my opinions on things, which I think, I think comes a little bit from being a jazz composer and from being, I also do some film scoring and I love arranging and orchestrating. I think all those elements, people are very nice to trust me and say, oh, what's your opinion on, should this tone have slapback or not? Oh, I'd like to have some slapback, you know? Right. Right. You know, I think a good producer in the, in the analogy I always use is, and I've worked with, a couple of, to me, top-of-the-heap guys, Tom Dowd before he mm. passed away in the early 2000s, and, and Kevin's done stuff for me for the last 16 years, believe it or not. Wow, wow. And um, a good producer is someone who basically opens the door to a little storefront, mm. and it's full of Fabergé eggs, mm. both sides, very narrow aisles, and he goes, you're the bull, now you destroy them. You go mm. in and put your stamp on it because because that's what the great artists do they 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 go i do this thing and right. if some people like this thing you know they're right. not they're not being malleable so the question is is when you know when you're a solo artist and you you have that that diverse a background of music like, when's the moment you go, I don't care what anybody thinks, this is my barometer, and I'm just going to stick to it, no matter if it sells one copy, and that's, you know, right. to my my great aunt. You know? Yes, and so, and so you're asking the question... That's buying it, you know? <laughs> so you're asking the question to me, the artist, not me, the sideman. I'm asking yeah. you the question, Zane Carney, the artist. Yes, so that, for me, I, I, th I think generally people experience me as amenable and 
I try to be gracious and all that. But when it when I'm in my artist mode and someone's producing me, I'm very stubborn and not rude, but just I have, I have very very strong opinions. Um, and I've been lucky to work with producers or produce myself. Uh, I, I'm nice to myself usually, but you know, when I work with other producers, they uh, usually what happens is. Uh, there's a conversation and there's a lot of, well, if you try this thing, cause that thing you did on that record was that. And can you try this? And usually I say, can I just have like 10 minutes, just 10 minutes. And I'm just going to, I just need some face. And then I'll turn some knobs and they go, that's what I was, that's what I was trying to get you to do. I'm like, right. I just sometimes need to just arrive there. So generally what I do is just try to remember at the beginning of sessions, can I just first try what I'm hearing? Cause you, sometimes it saves us some time. Because people have been trying to get me to have this, you know, ethereal film score meets jazz meets, you know, add this delay and do that. I'm like, ah, actually, with this song, I think completely dry would give us what we're looking for. So, yeah, I, I try to be clear and upfront, but as I'm saying right now, dude, as you can see, I get emotional, and that's maybe a good thing. I don't know. It is. It is when you wear your heart on your sleeve, and and it's important. And you know, one of the things that um, I, I've learned is is how you've been how you've been brought up, and 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 how it how your musical journey has played out from from your childhood to to current is is important and i was encouraged by guys like danny gatton to explore all different styles but but not but not just stick stick to one thing mm -hmm. and and i could imagine that's a hard habit to break because you know you played i was doing some research today you played 500 shows on broadway maybe mm -hmm. more 750 shows on broadway you were a child actor now oh wow that that discipline in itself is like it's written this way you say it this way i'm going to direct you and then when you become the artist you're like holy shit it's a blank canvas sometimes it's hard to make that 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 transition from when i'm great at interpreting all this music right. that's been written and now now i i don't even know where to start there's so you're much you're making a great point and this has been a uh, this I'm not saying it's not a struggle anymore, but it was it was definitely more of a struggle before. You're, and you're so dead on. I remember when I was younger with Carney, I was thinking, what, what, what is my sound? What am I going to do? And producers helped a lot. Um, but even the acting thing you're bringing up, I remember being on set with, with, it was a movie called My Giant with Billy Crystal and Michael Lerman was directing. And I was playing guitar on the set. And they're like, you know, you should really do that guitar. You sound really good guitar. Like, oh, really? Thank you. So even the acting thing, it did let kind of, it poured itself right back into music. And I will say, whenever I practiced, I felt so at home. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've spent that 10,000 hours people talk about, maybe more, because mm. uh, I love I love practicing. I sometimes love it more than performing. I love getting in. I'm really curious generally, and so I love just, whoa, I never would have thought of that combination. So I've always had that as my safe space, and I felt in control there, and I felt um, that what I have to say matters in these in these you know, this wall right. that confines the fretboard. And so, yeah, I've... I've um, but I have struggled with that. I think I think with this album, though, even this Alder Ego one, there was sort of a this moment of like, I this is who I am. I, I love uh, playing what I hear in my mind with musicians like Gene and Jerry and Catisse that I respect and admire. And uh, let's just see what happens. And I think I think um, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt very empowered making 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 Alter Ego just because it felt like I didn't have to follow any genres. Never really got right, to be. So for, for for the kids at home watching this, yeah, um, alter ego is uh, it's coming on on your 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 own name, Zane mm -hmm. alter ego, and it's out April thirtieth. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the the two tracks that I, I listened to today was um, was a, a brain freeze 
and um, I forget the title of the other one. There's the only two available. Oh, maybe Pitchfork? That's it, Pitchfork. Yeah. yeah. I like, and what I notice about Brain Freeze, because I'm an old prog guy from way back. Right. Um, uh-huh. That's that's some Steve Howe going on there, and <laughs> and Mahavishnu, and I love it because it's heavy, hmm. and 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 it, and it challenges the listener, but then it also brings it back, and there's some great exploration in the soloing. Hmm. And how important when you're making a record like that, because you can't just you can't just call up the union, and go, yeah, send me a bunch of guys. Right. Hey, you got some guys down there? Yeah, send me some guys. How 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 important is central casting? Oh, when man. making a record like that. For this album, yeah, it, it was the record. So the whole point of this record was, it started with the John DeVersa Big Band. So I play guitar in the John DeVersa Big Band. He's just truly one of the jazz greats of our time. Um, and the trio is myself, Gene Coy on drums, and Jerry Watts on bass. So we've been playing together for 10 years. I don't know how long. Uh, John was actually... John was like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and John was pretty instrumental in, you know, when I when I came out of high school I, was, I think i was 19 when he hired me for his big band and that was like a, a special moment for me of going okay jazz really is what i've been doing these past 15 years it's just because of playing with mayor or playing with carney not everyone has known this but all i shed is jazz and i play with the john diversa big band and that's like my favorite gig and and so anyway i talked to gene and jerry for years now i said man guys we got to get us on tape just us three we just got to get us three we got to get a horn player and we got to just go for it and we got to record it straight to tape I want to record it on no mics older or newer than 1955. Right. I want to do. I want to be in the same room with you. I don't care if the mix is harder to mix. I want to capture this energy, not just because I love Gene and Jerry, but I think Jerry and Gene uh, and Catisse can all agree that LA has a very, very special jazz scene. And I'm like, dude, someone needs to document what's going on out here because it's really, really special. And so, and, and there are a lot of great LA jazz musicians, but I think there's a certain energy when you're all in the room and you're not miking it in like 18 mics on a kit it's like three mics on the kit yeah. guitar mic we're all there because that's what and, your favorite record sounded like they right. just set up and play right. and i always tell people when i make records or i produce records it'd be like it's like and, and the engineer will always go well what about the bleed i go it's good bleed everybody's right. in tune right that's why they're here you I'm know with you man i'm with you so yeah so central casting to, uh, was a great way of putting it uh was w- was the record and the idea was i had some songs some sketches and we brought some of those in, Brain Freeze being one of them. But there are a couple songs on the record that are straight up free improv, their first takes. And because Gene and Jerry are straight, and Catisse, I'm sorry, I keep not mentioning Catisse, but everyone here are such, they're such crazy improvisational masters that it sounds like we wrote the song. Um, so the whole idea was I want to capture that bombastic West Coast jazz sort of manic ferocity. And I think the best way to do that is get Gene and Jerry and Catisse and me, get us in a room turn the mics on, record it to tape, mix it to tape, and then just see what it sounds like after. And we got really lucky, I think. Who's calling the takes, though? Because that's one of the things that is the most critical about that kind of music and, 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 and any kind of improvisational music is is like, when do you go no mas? Is it right. the take, the second we, take, the third take, or even if it goes into the fourth take where it gets real neat and tidy, but it loses the grease and it loses that spark? You're nailing, yeah, exactly. Which is why we chose mostly first takes. Yeah, I, I was mostly in charge of of picking the takes, but I will say I had two producers. So Chris Rondinella, who was engineering it, he has a great studio in LA called Heritage Recording Company, my favorite sounding studio in LA. Right. And he, so he was engineering it and co-producing. And then Adriana Stan also co-produced this, and she made some great points on which takes to use. And there there were some battles that were very healthy. Um, so yeah, we kind of had three producers on this because I it felt like a very collaborative thing. I mean, it's. 
I just, the idea really was to capture what we've been doing. We've been doing this for years and I, I think people haven't heard it. And so I wanted people to, to be able to hear it and have it documented. So are you cutting yeah. between takes? Like, cause even if it's free time, if you gotta, there's drummers, like, you know, right. like it's, you can cut between takes. It's like, like, we'll take, we'll, we'll, we'll take this chorus of this. Tape. Right. And, we actually and, did. We surprisingly did not do that on this, which I thought we'd have to, not because of the playing, but because of the, uh, the bleed and stuff I'm like, oh, maybe this one section wasn't right. And we have to cut it. We got really lucky. I mean, it's really a testament to Katice, Gene and Jerry just being insane musicians. Cause we, we, I mean, if you heard every recording three seconds after we ended, we're just cracking up because we can't believe we just wrote a song live accidentally, but we know each other so well that we can do that. And when I'm saying live composing, I'm talking, there's a song called all no uh, ego on the record where, uh, I literally looked at Jerry. I started playing the tape was already running and we changed keys two or three times during the song, and we just were looking at each other. I think you're going C sharp, half diminished. I'm going to, yep, okay. And then we're going to go A minor, first inversion. And we could just feel these moments happening in the room, and we just were cackling after. How do we, <laughs> oh man, I love playing with those guys. Well, that's, I mean, that's the way Miles cut b Bitches Brew. It, right. it was just stream of consciousness, and they would cut it. You know, some of my, like one of my favorite, I'll, I'll, I won't give away the tell, but one of my favorite records, it's more of an Americana, but it's a live record from, one of my favorite artists and you're, you're listening to it and if you're listening to it in the car or whatever you don't notice it but if you're listening to the headphones like i was one time on the airplane i'm like oh they cut between nights because all of a sudden the ride symbol switches sides the right wow. to the right at one point and then it switches sides and you're like i think it was an oversight but you're like oh they're cutting between takes and right and there's a there's a there used to be those stories, and I used they used to do it with 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 just pieces of tape. But the fact that you have a band that's so powerful, and, and you guys know each other so well and respect each other, that's another right. big thing that that you could just write on the floor. Did you right. actually cut to tape, or was it Pro Tools? We cut to tape, and then we dumped that into Pro Tools. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah, but but yeah, it was. Uh, I think we did 15 IPS. Yeah, we were trying to just get it to be kind of bubbly and and right. loose and all that. Um, but, uh, it was, a it was also it totally, I want to do it again. I, I, now that the album is being released and, and we're starting to, to put it out there and talk to people about it. And, and people have been very nice to like yourself to want to talk about it. Uh, I'm like, oh man, we got it. We got to get in the studio later this year. Like let's all get vaccinated or whatever we have to do, whatever is the safe way to do it. Let's get in the studio again. Um, well, that, yeah. it, it, my, my question is though, is would you do tape again? Would I would love to. So far on my singer songwriter material and on jazz stuff, I've I've pretty much only recorded to tape. Um, and yeah, it's a. I mean, I'm sure you recorded to it a lot. It's 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 a subtle thing, but um, it's for me, it's worth the process. I also like the fact that I end up making less edits. I'm like, okay, that was a performance. I'm happy with that. Let's just print it because my brain can't handle looking at five, six, seven takes. Oh God. So right. I kind of like that process, but I think with this record, with Alter Ego, it also lends itself to that because I wanted there to be imperfections and mistakes in the record because it's a jazz record, you know? And I trust these players, and thankfully they trust me. So, um, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of, of jazz records that are very edited, and I, I will say there are overdubs in this record. There are two guitar melodies, Pitchfork and Alter, have guitar melodies that I wasn't sure if we needed because we were just playing and feeling and interacting and i went yeah this, this could use a melody so i wrote some melodies for him but uh, 
what a what a fraud, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> An overdub? Come on. Now, right. one of the things we did about five records ago, we did the whole tape to Pro Tools thing. Yeah, how did and you find it? I found it frustrating because because being an old tape guy from my initial days 30 years ago, mm. what I forgot during the Pro Tools era is how long you would sit there and wait for the damn tape to rewind. Right. Pro Tools is just, tape's rolling. It's like, right. we're on. It's like, right. and if you screw up, you go, okay, count it again, you know? Right. And right. I was whoa, you know, like this is a, it's a bygone era and, and you know, you're trying to capture this thing in the moment. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about is your singing voice and your singing influences because mm. you, you have a great singing voice, extraordinarily on pitch and mm. tune and great phrasing. Who who are some of your vocal influences? Like, you know, getting getting away from the instrumental yeah, world. Yeah, totally. And, and getting, getting to the, like the singer-songwriter side. Man, of thank you for that comment. Uh, man, I got to tell you, I started as a, a complete zero as a singer. So when I was seven years old, I remember singing this song, Ace of Bass Had. I forget, I saw the sign. I think it was the song. Was I could it. not, yeah, I couldn't <laughs> sing it. It was too high for me. I was seven. And my brother was saying, just sing it. You're a boy. You're not a man. Sing the note. I, I can't do it. So thus began a 20-year journey of me not understanding why I couldn't hit high notes, why my voice didn't work. And I would go to voice teachers and they'd get me to do exercises. And I just, I would lose my voice. Fast forward to being on tour with Mayer in 2013. I don't remember this. I was on voice rest because my voice was broken yet again. I didn't sing on that tour, so it didn't matter. But uh, I go to a doctor, and he puts his little scope in. He goes, okay, all right. You are a singer? I said, yes. I, should I? What? What? What's wrong with it? You have your very close to an inoperable voice. I do? What's happening? You have a birth defect. It's called a sulcus. You need to get this fixed right now. Thank God you came to me. In a year, you wouldn't have been able to get surgery. I'm like, what? Wait, explain the more. He's like, well, so have you have you noticed your voice is raspy your whole life? I'm like, yeah, my speaking voice, everything. Have you noticed it's hard to phonate in your pharyngeal area? Yeah, I've been trying to do pharyngeal. I can't do it. We need to fix this. So I got surgery in December of 2013, and then 2014 really started digging deep into voice lessons and speech pathology, and then my real influences started to emerge. So I talked to everyone at this Broadway show I was working on, Spider-Man. I was like, hey guys, okay, I'm now gonna become a singer because I want to sing, I've always wanted to sing. Um, who are your favorite communicators? And everyone gave me five. So I had B.B. King, I had Albert Collins, I had SRV, people like love the way he emoted. I had Katie Lang, I had Jeff Buckley, I had Freddie Mercury. And so I came home with like 400 names, Bob Dylan. And I just started listening to singers to understand what it is that they're able to communicate. Bob Dylan with his you know, voice, Neil Young. And so my main influences very quickly became Katie Lang, my favorite vibrato of all time, uh, Jeff Buckley, Freddie Mercury, and uh, Steven Tyler. Those kind of became my four favorites. And so I would start singing along with them now that I could. It's so, amazing yeah, because the, 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 these are people with stratospheric ranges. Right, know? which Freddie surgery Mercury. gave me. Yeah. Right. I, before surgery, I'd say a C natural, like a... I don't have permission, but uh, that was almost impossible. It was like, uh, and then after surgery, uh, you know, two octaves above it. So Maybe. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Clearly Thank God for it. I can, I can diagnose right. it right there. <laughs> Give me that chew. Give me yeah. that delicious chew. I don't know. Yeah. All right. When, you, when you're writing a song lyrically, yeah. and, I, and, and I, I sometimes get into this with my producer or whatever, and, and does... When you read the lyrics down, does every word non sequitur 
use of the word baby, hmm. babe, or whatever, whatever, whatever non sequiturs that singers use in when their brain goes into neutral. Is hmm. everything important? Is the the is as is the 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 the, the suffixes and the thing or can you sometimes get away with getting the gist of it and singing a word that sounds good to sing you know i would like to lean myself more towards the latter because i as you are probably gathering um i i do have a potentiality to or not potential i have a tendency to overanalyze and and do that um so i think it would be nice for me to explore the babies and the relaxed uh thing but um but i do i love writing my favorite subject in school was was uh writing we had an english professor that was just unbelievable that really changed my life uh mr schenker so yeah i i uh i've always cared about the written word and about it's not even the writing and the grammar i've cared about the communication i love clearly communicating so if i if i um, were to say to someone yeah i love you you know that's a different experience than i love you there, even just like the way my cadence was is a totally different experience. And so lyrically, I, I notice oh, if I say is or as, I do notice a different experience. It falls differently for me. And I will say my favorite lyricists are, are guys like Neil Young and, and Bob Dylan and Ray LaMontagne and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. So, I mean, that, those are the people I look up to. And I don't know that I've ever written a song 10% as good as theirs lyrically. But I um, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm writing is, man, I wish I could communicate a song like tell me why and will i ever write a first opening line as good as tell me why probably not but i will try <laughs> you know my, my favorite is in it's uh, and it goes through all genres is neil young old man i just oh, think so good if, if so good. you can live two lifetimes you can never you can never simply say what he was doing and it was about when he bought his ranch in northern california and it was just right. about a conversation yeah can you can you overthink your way out of a good song I have done it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've done that. Uh, I think, yes, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working progress. And conversely, can you underthink your way back into one? <sighs> Please teach me how. I mean, I, I've. You can dial it back. Meaning, what? you know, I mean, uh, you know, look no further than Little Richard. You know, like it's, it's, they're just sounds. But right. man, what a hook! You right, know? right. But if but if 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 somebody was co-writing or you just sat there and go, man, I I just can't, I just can't throw this thing away and mm. with, with non sequitur sounds, and then put in you know, you know, she's a liquor and blah blah blah. You know, it's like it's right. like, and then it's not as cool. How can you can you can you put the the lid back on the tin can once it's open? You know who helped me with this, but I, again, I'm I really as as a songwriter. I think I think composing, especially in the jazz space and scoring, are are are, are things I am more I spent more time doing than the lyrical right. songwriting. Um, but I I'm really passionate about it, and I had a conversation with a, a dear friend named Jack Dishel. He has a a project called Only Son, incredible songwriter. And uh, he came over, and we did this ten years ago or so. And we came over, and he gave me a writing lesson, and I gave him a guitar lesson. Right. And uh, his response to me after I gave him the guitar lesson, he's like, "Dude, do you realize you are sitting on a nuclear bomb of creative ideas? The only thing that you're missing, Zane, at this time, he's like, there's a guy in your room watching over your shoulder, judging everything you're doing. You gotta get him out of the room. Get him out. Bring him back in at the end for five percent of it, but get him out of there. And so what you're saying here reminds me of that advice he gave me, which is, um. 
if I'm passionate and curious about these lyrics and they're making me excited, follow that. Don't even worry about if it's you know good or bad. And then if I have a song that goes pop, pop, loop, pop, pop, bamboo, still get out of here. I'm feeling good right now. Right. So maybe that's the the um, the uh, if I'm trapeze artisting, maybe that focal point that'll keep me balanced is letting go of the judgment of it. But uh, but man, I just love words, so I I do right. spend a lot of time on lyrics. What's more important to you? A song that you write that a million people sing back to you, or the song that you you you, you wrote that that fifteen of your musician friends come and go, man, that was just the deepest out shit mm. that I. Because sometimes you can't you, you can't have both. You can't have the right. respect of the of the cats, and then and then the the the, the million seller. Right. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, man, you're like so like a knife, man. Because uh, these are you're, all to the blues here, Zane. I'm telling you, <laughs> I love it. Whatever it is, man, it's it's helping me. I'm I'm gonna end this thing and do some journaling, some therapy for myself. Yeah, uh, or maybe write a song about it. Yeah, there's a hmm. I'm now I'm forgetting the question because I'm I was so impacted by it. I was arrested by it. Song. Uh, so, okay, here's a good example. Yeah. Okay. That Billy Ray Cyrus song, um, uh, Old Town Road, um, and, I, and I'm forgetting the rapper's Lil, name. Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X, yep. okay. Writing that or a song for Chris Stapleton that didn't make the record that 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 was just – it was just too heavy of a subject. Right. I, I probably would rather – uh, the one that people <laughs> listen to, which is messed up, because I, I know the, the artist in me wants, oh man, I, I think somewhere in the middle, I, I'd love to have an audience that feels impacted by my ideas, and then they'll inspire me, and then that'll turn up in the songs, and I, I would love an open system like that, where there is a real audience, uh, more than I would like to say I was I was the best, I, I'm, I guess I'm I'm weary of the pride and hubris that comes with being the best, you know? Um, so I, I'm more interested in connecting with others. Uh, but I will say when I go to bed at night, I do think about certain artists in my field and I go, Oh man, I wish I was doing that. And they, they don't have an audience, but everyone respects them in that way. And, Oh, maybe if I hadn't done this, that, or the other, they would respect them. You know, I certainly as an artist go into those sort of thought patterns. Uh, but my, my favorite thing is, uh, if it's one person or 5,000, you know, when they hear the song, they, they feel emotional. And I, I will say one common thread at all of my shows, whether it's instrumental or vocal is usually at the end of a show, at least one or two people come up saying, I was crying during this. Show. I have no idea why. Right. And I'm not an artist who comes up saying, all right, let's, let's pray. Like I'm not praying with them. I'm not like bringing in that whole atmosphere. Although I do come from, from a church background, but I, I'm not bringing that in. I'm just playing music. And, uh, I, I love that. I don't, I don't care if the audience is 50 people or 5,000. It makes, means a lot to me when, someone feels released a little bit. So that's probably what I'm shooting for mostly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my goal is to write songs that are played at bar mitzvahs and funerals. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm shooting for. If, it, if, if I get away with wow. a song being played at a bar mitzvah or a funeral, <sighs> we got to nailed it. You nailed right. it. That's Before great. Before we wrap up, plug, um, cause you're doing this stuff on Twitch and Patreon, plug, plug that for the audience. And, uh, oh, awesome, man. Yeah, so what I'm doing on Twitch, it's sort of a music performance meets educational programming, sort of. Uh, so, yeah, Twitch. I'm on twitch.tv slash Zane Carney, and these are live concerts, 
Sometimes I'll uh, do live compositions on air. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a real fun song called Night Night Nightmare. Uh, a viewer gave me the title and then said, you have to have four keys. Two of them are Locrian. One of them is Lydian. The other one's not minor. And the solo's in Locrian. I'm like, what? But I wrote a song in about an hour and a half with lyrics and melody, and, and it's is, it is fun. So we do some fun, nerdy things. We talk about music theory, jazz composition, um, and then the Patreon just pairs well with that, basically. Right. Well, you, yeah, yeah. you have more patience than I would. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start your own Twitch and do that shit yourself. Oh, man, I know. But I, I, like, you, have more, you have three options, slow, medium, or fast. Right, right, right. I do love the challenge, though. I also love sports, and I love the, all right, we're in the arena. Let's do this. Let's see what happens. Um, and to be frank, the, tr the tool that this person, they donated you know, money and, and asked me to write this song, and I did it. The, the tool they were using was something I had talked about four weeks prior in a music theory of gaming segment. So I do music theory of gaming on there as well. And I'd said, hey, if you take any melody, any melody, here's a random melody. And I wrote it on the on the staff. I said, great. Now, chat, give me random bass notes. And so they said, A flat, F. And I said, great. So I had a random melody. You guys all picked random bass notes. Let's fill in the colors. So A flat bass note, B flat melody. Great. That could be A flat major nine. That could be A flat minor major nine. That could be, you know, what are some A flat augmented add natural nine? Let's pick a chord, chat. They picked a chord and we just had eight uh, chords in a row that were purely generated as an experiment, a scientific experiment. And the melody and the chords were hip as I'll get out because the melody was clear and the chords were very dense. And I was like, this is a tool jazz composers use at times. If we're, if we're stuck and we're looking for a, a cool way to navigate, we write a memorable melody, we randomly place bass notes, and then we fill in what colors they could be. So, right. yeah, I mean, the channel's already like that. So when the guy tested me, I was like, all right, let's go. And it was really fun. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Zane, you know, I have the utmost respect for you and, and, and I'm proud to know you. And, 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 you know, I think, um, he, it's, it's just, it, what blows me away is, is the knowledge that you have about so many different subjects and, and how you can just slot in and be like, Oh, I got you covered. Mm -hmm. And that, that is like what we were talking earlier about the 10,000 hours. It's, I always say when you're done with the first 10,000 hours, you, you reset the clock and you start the next two sets of 10,000 hours. And, 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 you know, your knowledge and your wisdom is well beyond anything that I'm ever going to live in my lifetime. But, but, but thanks for being here. And again, your record alter ego, which is fantastic. The two songs that are out now are fantastic and, and really inspiring and, and, and really it's not only challenging to the, to listen to, but it's also, it's also relatable. So it's not like, it's like, you know, it's not like listening to, monk you know where you right. gotta, gotta be in a certain mindset right you, you give some you give people something to grab onto so mm. thanks for being here man it's really an honor to talk to you the honor's all mine thank you for having me joe i really appreciate it man thank you ladies and gentlemen the one the only zane carney from los angeles california this has been joe bonamassa's live from nerdville gotham in new york city until next time ladies and gentlemen 